obviously the more aerobically fit you are, the higher your VO2 max is, the more efficient your body is, the longer that bottle is going to last. Um, that's really what it boils down to uh, for me as a strength coach and a firefighter, right? This is the RIT Team Radio Podcast, dedicated toward the wellness initiative of the fire and rescue community. Stay with us as we explore and share evidence-based research, information, and training methods. Here's your host, Hussein Jabai. Welcome to episode 10 of RIT Team Radio. We're going to be talking about cardiorespiratory fitness which could be interchangeable. Sometimes you hear it as aerobic fitness, aerobic endurance. There's different ways to uh, pretty much define a style or modality of training. Um, and with me today is Jim McDonald. Uh, Jim, go ahead and introduce yourself, give some background, uh, as well as kind of elaborate. Give us a couple of bullet points. What is cardiorespiratory fitness and what are a couple of the concepts we're gonna cover today? Okay, yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here and talk to you, talk with your audience. Um, yeah, my name is Jim McDonald. I've been in strength and conditioning for about 20, 22 years now. So I was, you know, went to Iowa State, got my degree, um, got got blessed with some hard work and stuff, got to work in the, you know, major league, minor league baseball, volunteered in the NFL, worked in, you know, private sector with uh, personal training, PT clinic for two years, like got into corporate fitness. So quite a bit of different things. Uh, the last eight years, I've been a career firefighter. Um, and that's how this whole passion started of, you know, educating and, and trying to help uh, in the fire service or tactical arena, right? Um, so as a firefighter, and then, you know, using my other uh, career, uh, you know, experience trying to educate you know, the fire industry on what cardiorespiratory fitness is, what is VO2 max, right? So, um, you know, generically, it's just the, the max rate of oxygen that your body consumes during exercise. And, you know, within the fire service with heart, uh, heart attacks being the number one line of duty death continually, um, you know, it's, an, it's important not only from, uh, you know, fitness for duty, so to speak, but also for what's killing most firefighters. So that's really what got me passionate about um, speaking about this stuff and educating my own departments, right? I've worked for three different departments. Um, I've helped two of them start wellness committees and programs. Um, so it really was just a passion of, you know, what I've been doing for the last 20 years in, in strength training. And then I'm um, trying to help out my, my peers. <laughs> when I, it's always great, not that you have to have uh, exercise science experience or strength and conditioning experience outside of the tactical community, but having that background, um, some people can perceive it as, well, you weren't working with tactical during that setting, but you learned so much about mechanics and uh, regressions, progressions, like just general strength and conditioning concepts. And then with your background in uh, firefighting and uh, fire and rescue, you're able to apply what you know about the service and then make adjustments how you see fit. On top of that, uh, the number one thing, uh, a large portion of what I do from a strength and conditioning supervision and programming uh, perspective uh, is that I work alongside academies and I've had the opportunity the past couple of years to work with a local academy 
And every time I work with a different class, someone throws the question out there, well, why are we doing physical fitness? And then a cadet will always say, well, CVD is the number one or cardiac uh, events are the number one, you know, fatality uh, within firefighting on fire ground. And then I go, okay, well, why else do we train? Like what, why, what kind of training do we do and why? Like what is there other than that statistic in that statement, do you know anything outside of that statement? And usually it's just kind of crickets, right? So I'm, I'm glad we're able to touch on this subject and we're going to be able to define it and then talk about application. Um, so I guess the first thing we can kind of roll with is, is VO2 max and talk about oxygen consumption and oxygen utilization. Uh, what does that, how does that apply to the fire service? Like, let's keep it broad to start with. Why is that even important? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that uh, I try and communicate and help educate is obviously the the more efficient you are, the better you can work and the longer you can, quote, last with uh, the air bottles that we have, right? So if your life depends, uh, you know, on it for that one time, hopefully in your career that it never happens, but if it does happen, Obviously, the more aerobically fit you are, the higher your VO2 max is, the more efficient your body is, the longer that bottle is going to last. Um, that's really what it boils down to uh, for me as a strength coach and a firefighter, right? So, yeah, just to be able to sustain your work. Um, and and we were uh, briefly chatting a little bit. I'll kind of pull in a little segment we were chatting about about five, 10 minutes ago is the different components, right? There's power, strength, we have these different components and then cardiorespiratory more in that wheelhouse, more of your aerobic fitness. Where do you see from an observation, where do you normally see the attention going? But then what does the fire ground look like to you? When, 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 um, when I ask that, it's more of what should be more prioritize, uh, prioritized or should you only focus on one segment, if that makes sense? Yeah, so I think this is literally what the, the industry struggles with, right? Like you have to have a holistic plan and you have to train everything, right? And what I see happening in the fire, um, you know, since I've been in fire the last eight, eight and a half years, um, is a lot of high intensity resistance training because it quote mimics the job and that's what we do. Um, and then if you look at the statistics of, you know, line of duty deaths through the NFPA, um, and this could be a whole nother highly debated topic, but the NFPA per the NFPA data since 1971, like the number one line of duty death every year is cardiac events uh, due to overstress and, or overexertion and stress, right? Um, a lot of other people will talk about suicides and all the other stuff, right? There's a lot of things that kill us. They're all important. Um, for me, I'm going after, you know, the sudden cardiac death stuff because I think it's low-hanging fruit. Um, so that's what I get passionate about, and that's why I'm trying to help educate on it, right? But to answer your question, you got to have a holistic approach, right? You do have to have the high-intensity resistance training, but you also have to have that zone two low, you know, heart rate training, um, the, the, the max aerobic function training or MAF training, um, you need that stuff to balance it out because most people in fire, like I said, are doing high intensity interval training all the time. And they have that personality that they're going to work out hard in red line. 
And that's great, but that doesn't help with recovery. That doesn't give you the aerobic base that you need to perform the job. So that's where I get passionate about this. And and also a little um, nervous, like we had talked, right? Because I'm coming in as a, you know, a, a strength coach with however much experience and then eight years in firefighting. And I'm, I'm kind of going against what the industry does and people do, right. To be honest. Um, I don't agree with, with, you know, nonstop circuits and high intensity resistance training as a firefighter or a strength coach. We can talk about some of the other statistics, right? 70 to 80% of the calls in the U S are medical in nature. So 70% of the time as a firefighter in the U S you're not going balls to the wall, you know, it's lower intensity with the obesity and overweight rate in, in the United States. Medical calls were dragging and lifting heavy patients in awkward positions and doing things, right? We're working at a lower heart rate unless you're doing, you know, CPR, um, but most medical calls are lower. So again, the statistics show that we should be training in other areas other than high resistance you know, training. Um, so well, that's really what I'm trying to help educate people on. I, I think a large, and you see this across the board and it's not just this population. It's, it's not, not just, just fire. It's not just fire. It's not just no. public safety. It's across the board. And yeah. many times it dwindles down to um, whoever's providing guidance. Uh, let's say if they're I, I'm going to throw the word qualified out there or not. I, it could be interchangeable <laughs> with enthusiastic sometimes. I don't know, but let's say sure. qualified. Um, but usually it's wherever someone has background or specializes in. Uh, for instance, no matter what population, if someone comes in and they are super savvy on just barbell work, like traditional barbell exercises, but agility freaks them out, they will probably just tell you how to work that barbell and that's it right? Yeah. Where if someone's a runner and all they do is run, but do not know mechanics for um, uh, any form of resistance type training, then they're going to be like, hey, today, guess what we're going to do? We're going to just go run, right? That you might do some sprints, you might do a, maybe even dodge bounding because they might not be as, sa as savvy in plyometrics or, or they might or they might not, right? But in many cases, it comes down to, you know, this is what I know, I, I know in some form or fashion, I need to be strong. So I'm just going to focus on strength, right? So that, that's just from my observation. That's what happens many times. Um, but, but like you said, it's focusing on every single area. And one uh, thing that I like that you highlighted was the efficiency of doing the work, right? And if you don't have um, the, the, let's just generalize and say the fitness level to do work, for a certain period of time, then that work is going to seem more difficult than it could be if your fitness level was higher, right? So yeah. that's where I, I kind of want to segue into MAF and talk about zone two and talk about kind of building that baseline so that the work you do on a day-to-day -day basis doesn't seem like a struggle. You're able to do the work efficiency uh, efficiently longer. Sure. Yeah, and for me, it's just, you know, zone two i think for anybody in general like zone two is, is is pretty boring and easy right like you don't you don't feel like you're getting much out of it right so that's why a lot of people work out super hard 
Uh, and then you can talk about the tactical field in general where, you know, type A people and competitive and all that kind of stuff, right? But working out in zone two is very important. Um, you know, you building that aerobic base um, to have that efficiency. And as you get more fit, right? Like working with athletes, they're coming and they're doing their zone two and they're jogging at four miles an hour or four and a half miles an hour to stay in that zone two. And as they get more aerobically fit and that zone two base gets bigger, so to speak, they're running at five, five and a half miles an hour, still at the zone two in that low heart rate zone. So that's how I can tell them like, hey, you're getting better because three weeks ago, you're running at four and a half miles an hour. And now you're running at five with the same heart rate. Like you're making gains. Oh, by the way, do you feel better? Like, do you recover better? Like all those benefits that you get from that training. Um, the other big aha that I had was, you know, I've been doing this and, and talking about this stuff for, for four or five years now. And I talked with Chris Hinshaw. Um, so aerobic capacity training, that's his business. He was, you know, marathoner, Iron Man, whatever, right? A stud. Well, he starts working with these high intensity resistance training athletes who do that all the time, right? Um, but they don't have, uh, they don't work out in that zone two or, or max aerobic function, right? And the max aerobic function training is from Dr. Phil Maffetone. It's been around for 40 years. Uh, you know, endurance athletes, um, they're getting huge improvements and their aerobic base is just huge, right? Their VO2s are through the roof. Um, so that's what I like to use as a zone two training and the max aerobic function training. Max aerobic function training is basically 180 minus your age and that's your target heart rate. So whatever you're going to be doing for that workout cardiovascularly, you need to try and stay. So, you know, mine's 180 minus my age, uh, you know, 138 coming up here soon i'll be 40 42 but, I, was like, uh, <laughs> I was like tippy toeing around that to yeah, throw yeah. The number out yeah. There. yeah yeah that middle age yeah we're there mm -hmm. but uh so when you're working out you try and stay at that heart rate zone right um and it can be challenging for people myself included but the benefits are huge um, not only from a cardiovascular standpoint from you know the line of duty deaths reducing that um, but work efficiency um and you know it's just huge. It's, it's dramatically increases people's performance. Um, if you can get them to do it consistently, yeah. they'll see the difference. And, you know, like I said, the, the, the athletes that I train friends, people, whatever, once they get on that and do it, um, I mean, they're amazed at how much better they are and feel and recover and how much better they can perform. And they're like, uh, you know, you're basically overtraining and killing yourself doing you know, high intensity stuff all the time. Right. Right. And I, you know, in, in many cases for those that don't drift into the realm of aerobic training, you know, giving you some kind of uh, example with, with weight training, right. With uh, resistance training uh, for those of you that do low reps and you're doing sets of three or sets of five, right. Uh, you might do a set of three, and you're gassed after that set. And then you have to wait multiple minutes until you do your next set of three or your next set of five. But if you go through a phase of doing, you know, 10 reps, 15 reps, 
you kind of build up that work capacity to be able to do more in that given setting. So then when you go back to those lower reps, at least personally for me, that's, you know, through my experience and with those that I work with, when you go back down to those lower reps, you don't feel like you're doing a marathon with multiple reps. But if you didn't build that baseline in advance or take a period of time to do that, then three seems like a lot or five seems like a lot. Right. And so then associating that specifically with aerobic training is trying to build that baseline, trying to give you a better platform to be able to work with. Um, so what I, I guess, do you have any uh, recommendations or just kind of a, a thought process if you're not able to individually kind of kind of pinpoint that kind of that zone? Right. And, and I gear more toward group training right? Let's say an academy that you can't individually tell someone, okay, this is your pace. This is your pace. This is your pace. And you're just kind of working with the group as a whole. Um, is there any uh, just thought process with working with groups and trying to implement this uh, within your program? Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of that, that age old. It's ad, tricky. You know, There's it, pros and cons, right? Like I throw, throw in, yeah. throw in a not impossible question, but it's like, yeah. how do I make the best out of not an ideal situation, right? Correct. Yeah. So without having everyone's VO2 and they're hooked up to yeah. pullers or other heart rate monitoring systems, right? It's just the generic, hey, if you can breathe in and out through your nose yeah. and have a conversation, right? A, a, a normal conversation like we're having right now, then you're in your zone two, your max aerobic function zone uh, in that aerobic base where you need to be. Right. When you start huffing and puffing and breathing and you're you're doing, you know, two, three words and you got to you got to chill out and bring it down. Right. You're you're past that zone to max aerobic function. And that's the down and dirty, easy way to do it. Yeah. And it's it's pretty close. Right. Um, I've done it with heart rate monitors on and checked. And, you know, it's not perfect, but it's the best you're going to get if you're not having the tech. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's uh, that's been kind of the the not the trickiest thing out there working working with academies or working with groups right usually you see within the academy setting but uh usually yeah. i'll give them just assignments on that run that kind of force them to talk whether you're asking curriculum based questions or um i'll have them jog and uh whatever you you might have a phrase for it but uh i i forgot what they had called it um whether it was the wolf run, uh, I've heard the warrior run, the warrior mile or whatever, where you're jogging in line at a steady pace and the person in the back sprints to the front and then you'll kind of run, right? And it's never a sprint, right? Just everyone runs extra slow so the back person can get to the front. But <laughs> yeah, that's usually how it works. And I'm fine yeah. with that because I treat it as a communication tool. And I tell them, I don't care. You know, there's, there's phases where I have them sprint and all the great things. But when we're going slow, I'm like, hey, it just has to look like a jog, sort of. But I need you to be able to give me these, these indicators. When someone passes you, you have to tell the person in front of them clear. Or whoever gets to the front has to... Uh, indicate that they're at the front. Like I give them cute verbal cues so that they can tell the person at the back they've made it to the front and to be able to talk amongst themselves. So I keep them talking so that sure. you, can, you can hear what's going on. I mean, I can visibly see, but at the same token, they're able to know, okay, I can't even catch my breath. I can't provide a simple cue 
you know, to the, to my engine company or, or, or so forth. So I kind of get that discussion going within that group. But um, uh, like we said, it's kind of when you're working with a group, it's more difficult to regulate and manage. Um, yeah. But it's definitely, uh, definitely something, something to implement. Uh, what's, what, what has been your thought process working with incumbent, say, with shift work? Um, is, is there do's and don'ts to application like on shift versus off shift? Um, is, are, are there strategies to kind of manage that? Yeah, for sure. So actually, you know, getting ready here to, uh, to speak at the, the TSAC, um, 2023 and my, my presentations kind of focuses on, um, stress and then programming appropriately for being on shift and coming off shift. Um, so there's just a lot of different stressors within the tactical field, specifically in fire, right? Um, where my knowledge and, and expertise is, so, so to speak, from actually doing the job, right? Um, so, you know, you have the autonomic nervous system, sympathetic, parasympathetic. When you're on shift, the sympathetic is obviously activated, um, whether you're excited or not. When you're new, you know, as a firefighter, you're learning, you don't understand what the calls are, you don't know what they mean, you just know you got to get to the engine and get going, right? Um, you get that adrenaline rush, you're super excited. Um, you know, as you get experience, that wears off, right? Like, I don't really get excited anymore, unless it's like, hey, this is a confirmed structure fire. And you're like, oh, yeah, we're doing some work, right? Yeah. Like, then you're, then you're excited. Um, but physiologically, your body still goes through those sympathetic you know, fight or flight, adrenaline, heart rate goes up, even though I don't feel it, it's blunted for me, physiologically, you still go through that, right? So I try and talk with incumbents and firefighters in general, um, and really strength and conditioning coaches that that work in fire, there's, everyone's educated, they have bachelor's, master's, PhDs. Um, but I think working in fire gives me um, an advantage, right? Like, I'm not special, but I do the job. So I get to feel things that you don't get to feel, right? right. You can put on, you can put, put on turnouts and you can go train. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. But it still doesn't but, give the exact more or less experience, right? It's not the same sure. stress at, at the it's, end of the day. That's as close as you're going to get unless yeah. you become a firefighter, right? Mm -hmm. But when you put on gear and you get toned out to a real fire, and you're pulling hose and going inside and it's smoky and it's real. Like there's a whole nother level yeah. of, of, Oh shit. Right. <laughs> so, um, One just trying to go ahead. Yeah. Oh, just trying to educate them, um, on that, whether they're incumbents or in the fire service yeah, or you're a fellow practitioner, right? Like trying to educate people on the stresses that tactical athletes go through, whether it's police, military, or fire, cause they all do it different levels, deployments, being in your 12 hour shift as a law enforcement officer in the car, no sleep, et cetera, right? Everything's different. But the one thing's there is all that, that stress. So when we program and periodize for firefighters, we need to make sure that we're not adding undue stress on the already stressed system and person, right? We're there to induce, um, you know, stress and fatigue to get that compensation and and get more strength or whatever that may be right but we have to make sure that we're not um doing harm to the athlete or disservice to the athlete right um or personnel so that's really where my 
passion lies is on the education side of that for firefighters and for practitioners or, or strength coaches, uh, human performance professionals, whatever word you want to use that that's working in tactical, right? So that, uh, that reminds me of honestly, the last podcast uh, that I did with Ryan Provencher, uh, where we talked about allostatic load, and we talked about the chronic uh, accumulation of of strain over time and just being aware and we had broad buckets or broad categories one was physical training right just that programming your organized training setting the next one is your occupational training right anything that has to do specifically with the job if you're in the academy then you're looking at whatever training whatever curriculum is being assigned to you outside of the physical fitness hour. Let's say you're allotted an hour for that academy each day. Um, and then that third very broad bucket was lifestyle behavior and lifestyle choices. It was everything outside of the job, whether it is uh, had to do with relationships, it had to do with finances, it had to do with sleep, nutrition, right? It's every, and it's a very broad bucket, but it's kind of that, that third segment to look at. So you know, how does, what, what is your thought process of overviewing that and kind of analyzing, you know, how much is, how much strain is coming from physical fitness, how much strain is coming from occupation and how much strain is coming from that third bucket uh, of lifestyle and, and more of that, that personal life perspective um, does analyzing that and manage and managing that help determine, okay, let's just do zone two today, instead of your high intensity uh, conditioning medley with, you know, full body, uh, heavy resistance training circuits. I mean, does that kind of give a perspective of what kind of training I should do based off of where the strain or how much strain is coming from those? Yeah. And I think, um, you know, you, you guys talk, uh, sounds like a lot about basically <laughs> what I'm going to be presenting on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think a great way to do that is, I like to pre-program or plan program. Like when you're on shift, um, you know, keeping it at, you know, below your 70% VO2 max or that seven RPE, right? Um, you know, Dr. Mark Abel and the University of Kentucky, all his PhD students do an amazing research, right? Um, they, they got research from, you know, training uh, elite uh, firefighters that are in very good shape, right? Um, and when they do these hard resistance training, their performance, um, you know, is reduced by 10%. So on shift, you know, you can train, but I would say obviously lower uh, intensities, also based on what you're going to be doing, right? If you're going to be doing live fire training, um, et cetera, right? You got to program and, and plan around that. But in general, on shift, you know, I like to do lower intensity stuff. And then also planning coming off shift, doing lower intensity stuff as well, right? That's a great time to do that zone two training, the max aerobic function training, some breath work, meditation, yoga, stretching, right? All those deregulation um, exercises, um, whether you had a rough shift or not, even if you you know only had X amount of calls, nothing crazy traumatic, no fires, um, no training, you're still your central nervous system you were still hammered for 24 hours or 48 hours however whatever your shift is right so coming off shift and doing some crazy workout like a lot of us or a lot of people like to do 
um, is basically what I'm talking about, what not to do, right? You're adding stress on stress. Um, yeah. I think and another, go ahead, go ahead. While, while you're rolling, I'll let, I'll let you keep going. Cause you got, you got it. You got the concepts flowing. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I think another big thing is, is, um, objective check-ins, right? Okay. So whether you work in high school athletics, college athletics, professional athletics, like, you know, a little bit different situation, right? But division one college, right? You're training, been there, done that. It's awesome. During finals week, probably going to address that, right? It's finals week. You got athletes that are stressed out, et cetera. You're going to dial back the training, right? It's no different in fire. So if you have the, the um, access to um, your personnel, you know, doing the objective check-ins and like, hey, how are you doing? How was your shift? How's your family doing? How's your financial stress? Like all the stuff that you talked about, right? Like how are you holistically and how should we be training today, right? You're good to go. Family life's good. Sleeping good. Nutrition's good. Um, you had a pretty good shift. Nothing too bad. Like let's have a, a good moderate workout coming off shift, right? But if you had a rough shift with a lot of calls or traumatic events, um, didn't sleep very well or didn't sleep that long, um, or you got, you know, rough, rough things going on in marriage or whatever it is, right? Um, financial stress, right? You got to think about all that stuff. And obviously, you know, the training needs to be fluid with the athlete and the environment. Um, and things need to be changed accordingly, right? So well, and a, a big part of that, I mean, a large summary of what you just said is communication, right? Yes. Trying to yeah. trying to figure out what's going on there's got to be uh both output of as the practitioner or as the person instructing let's say we're speaking to instructors yes you can provide as much education and information but if you're not also you know receiving if you're also not you know you should also be asking questions and trying to get a better perspective of where the individual is at and then if we're talking to the operator you know and you have an instructor or uh, let's say you don't have an instructor you're doing your own programming then you have to self reflect you're not you might not have that person asking those questions and so you have to ask those questions yourself um and that that brings me back to you mentioning uh post shift training uh, no matter what your schedule is, there's so many different shift, uh, shift schedules out there, 24, 48, 48, 96, Kelly schedule, whatever is out there. It's yeah. never, even if you, if you run a 24, 48, it's never just a 24, 48. If you run a 48, 96, no. it's never just 48, 96, right? OT is a thing out there, believe it or not. And on top <laughs> of that, when we talk about chronic stress, I like how you, uh, highlighted that, just because you finally get that day off and quote unquote off, at least from work, you still go back and you have other responsibilities, other duties. Let's, you know, we're, we're um, not even saying that, you know, you could have an additional job on top of what you're doing. You might have other responsibilities where it qu requires physical strain. So you have to analyze all of that and go, Hey, I finally get a day to train, but what is, what is the quote unquote smart thing to do? Right. Is it because I finally have one day now I can go as heavy as possible or as high intensity as possible? Or realistically, I was beat up for five days in a row. I finally have a day to recover and then be more intentional and be more strategic in how I'm utilizing that time. 
And then that way, either the next day, let's say you can train more of how you would like to, or what if you have to go back on shift that next day? So it's trying to manage what did the week look like in advance? What did the previous, you know, 24, 48 hours look like for you? What did the past couple of weeks look like? Right. And it's not as, uh, not as savvy, you know, on the, uh, uh, it's not it's not the same as approaching maybe a higher level athlete where you can manipulate so much more uh, from a timeline perspective. But then on top of you mentioning uh, finals week, we don't kind of peel back training for finals week just because the nature of the test. It's the lifestyle that follows the testing week. Right. We know students are going to be up late trying to study because maybe they didn't study all semester. You know, let's just say <laughs> they, they're trying to catch up on things they missed during the semester. Let's be, let's but be honest. We, yeah. Well, you know, being realistic, it's, you know, I had no idea what they were talking about and it is on the final. Right. And it's staying up, trying to catch up on maybe there were some late assignments they're trying to finish up before the end of the semester. You know, it's, it's pretty much trying to cram everything you can within the last week or two. And so we, know that and we understand the strain and the lifestyle decisions and actions and behaviors that follow that so we manipulate our our training why aren't we doing that that same concept within the tactical community knowing that because of shift work because of the nature of the job because of the tasks that there's other things that come with that and therefore we need to re uh, regulate our our training with it so it's not it's not just the nature of hey you you have a test in a week, if you were prepared for the test, like, then there's really no reason to manipulate or, or kind of regress or, or dial back the training. But we know what comes with that. So why, why can't we apply those same co concepts within the fire service? Yeah, and I, I mean, all that stuff is amazing. It's great information. And I, I think for, for me, I just get passionate about the education piece. So educating fellow firefighters and, and peers on this um, and making sure that practitioners understand this as well, right? So um, it, it's both sides um, because you have practitioners that are coming from all walks of life getting into tactical, um, but it's a different animal uh, within tactical, right? So there's a big learning curve and understanding um, so for me, it's just exciting. It's exciting for me to try and help educate. And of course, I, I don't think I know everything because I don't, um, not even close. Right. But just trying to use the experience that I have and the fortunate, uh, experiences of, of being in, you know, college athletics and professional athletics and PT for two years, working in the corporate setting, uh, and then being in fire, like, uh, it's a it's a lot, um, and I try and pull from all those different um, areas that I've been blessed to be able to work in, right? Um, so for me, it's just using the passion about that, all of that stuff right now, and that's been the last two or three years of of kind of my journey when I'm not at work, right? And you brought up the thing of like, okay, well, so I'm a firefighter, but I'm also a father. I have a four and six year old, and my wife works full time. So when I get off my forty eight hour shift and come home, I get home and I'm either taking my kids to school, taking them to summer camp right now. Like so you don't get to just go straight to sleep and sleep until your next shift. It doesn't work like that. No. Yeah. Like <laughs> I would love to come home 
and sleep and relax and rehydrate and 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 do all the stuff that we talk about as practitioners, right? Um, but that's not real life. So right. not only do I understand what we're talking about, but I actually live it, right? I, I'm a firefighter. I have a family. I have a wife that works. Like I go through it. So um, I can empathize with the firefighters and I also understand the life. So it's easy for me, you know, to, to, to try and talk and educate about it. Um, and, you know, being on, being uh, colleagues and friends with people like you and talking about stuff like this, uh, I hope that that helps uh, other practitioners and, and people that, you know, listen to your podcast. So, so if you, uh, to kind of uh, not summarize, but kind of give uh, maybe one uh, tidbit to a practitioner and then also talking to operators. So kind of two, two different pieces. Usually I'll, I'll ask mainly for um, kind of a summarized or one piece of wisdom for an operator. But since we're kind of dissecting and looking at the practitioner as well as the operator, what's one bit of wisdom, if you could summarize just one component that if someone listened to this, the main takeaway message as the instructor or as the practitioner, and then maybe one strategy as the operator someone could utilize um, to when they're applying cardiorespiratory fitness into their lifestyle or their, their weekly routine? Yeah, I think thinking about it quickly yeah. as you were talking. Yeah, I know. It is, I, uh, I, it's pretty much recapping what you said, but uh, what, what would you highlight just uh, not even a main takeaway. I know it's hard to pick one, right? Well, I think what I was getting stuck on was trying to figure out what I would tell an operator and what I would tell a practitioner. And to be honest, off the cuff real quick, like I think it's the same information, right? Okay. Trying to e trying to educate them uh, as, as a, a cohesive team, so to speak, right? So I want the, I want the operators and the personnel to understand um, that yes, I'm not saying that doing high intensity resistance training is not appropriate. It is. Um, but at what percentage of training overall, right? In fire, it's, it's very low. 3.6% of the calls in the U.S. are fire calls. So I think the training should uh, reflect that. I think that the operators and firefighters need to understand that, right? So it's not always training at 110%, right? Um, training for strength because of what we do with medical calls and lifting heavy people in awkward positions, right? It's understanding that what VO2 is for a firefighter and why the NFPA has standards, right? Um, it's understanding that having that aerobic base um, is important. So you do need to chill and do that lower zone two and max aerobic function training. For the operators, and again, for the practitioners, I think it's important to understand when to do that, right? So on shift and coming off shift, I think is great. Now, I'm not saying you can't do high intensity resistance training on shift, um, but it does need to be lower key on shift.